Welcome to Leadership Conversations, a podcast by the Sustainability Board Report. Join us as we engage in conversations with business and civil society leaders, educators and advisors discussing the role of sustainable leadership in today's world. The Sustainability Board Report is an independent, not-for-profit project. We aim to showcase different dimensions of sustainable business leadership and corporate governance. We publish reports to help individual leaders, organizations and investors to understand the changing landscape of environmental, social and governance factors. Welcome to a new episode of Leadership Conversations. My name is Frederick Otto and I'm here with Helena Gudjansdottir and we are from the Sustainability Board Report. Today we welcome Rachel Youngman. Rachel is the Deputy CEO of the Institute of Physics and she's doing a lot of other things as well that we will be discussing today. Helena, for the first time, I think we are featuring somebody from a science organization. Of course, one of our previous episodes, we had Nazanin Rahman from AstraZeneca and who's also one of the leading scientists in the UK. But Rachel is basically in a leadership position for a scientific organization. And I think we were both a little bit unsure what the Institute of Physics exactly has to do with sustainability. But it turns out that she is actually on quite a big mission here to make a change. It was nice to speak with Rachel. So I guess to frame it, she takes us through her not so linear career journey. She starts in that international NGO space, makes a huge life decision at the top of a mountain in Peru, which I think is a nice story, and ends up in science, somewhere where she didn't imagine ever going. So I guess from the science point of view, we discuss the importance of diversity in science. And I guess from a leader's perspective and a leadership perspective, how important it is to bring diverse talent to the table for solutions. And it is something that we've seen come up again and again. And she has a lot to say about sort of stereotypes in science, and we need to appeal to a younger audience to get more people in, more diversity and more talent kind of connected to that. She mentions, of course, what we like to discuss here is the ESG and the S in that where it's nice that now there's a lot of focus around the social element. We need to make sure there is diversity and inclusion. Young people are looking for that in organizations. She has some really great insight into sort of where the tech is going and there's possibility for solutions to climate challenges in science. What do you think, Freddie? What were your takeaways? Well, I was really intrigued how she is engaging with young people and with people from non-dominant groups, but specifically also girls. A lot of girls don't really make their way into becoming scientists. And really interesting how she engages with them because she doesn't engage with them directly. I don't want to give too much away and would say, let's go straight into the episode to learn more. On today's episode of Leadership Conversation, we welcome Rachel Youngman. Rachel is Deputy CEO at the Institute of Physics, IOP, and a sustainability consultant for charities, government departments, and NGOs. With a background in social justice, she enables companies to meet ESG targets by implementing sustainable strategies with diversity and inclusion at their core. She has spearheaded the IOP's Limitless campaign, 
challenging gender stereotypes and encouraging other underrepresented groups into physics, and has worked to strengthen international research collaboration between the UK and Africa to continue research into solutions for climate change. Rachel also chairs the board at the Black and Migrant Women's Charity Hibiscus and is a member of the External Advisory Board of the UK Quantum Technology Hub for Sensors and Metrology. Rachel, great pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks very much, Frederick. Good to be here. It sounds like you are a person in high demand. Your bio certainly is touching on all of the issues and potential solutions that the world needs right now. Would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself and the work that you focus on? Yeah, sure. Well, I started my career working for an international NGO, so a non-government organization. So I've always worked mainly in the sort of charity, not-for-profit world. I'm less of a person of the business world. But I think working in an NGO, it was for the international legal profession. So although it was not for profit, I worked alongside major lawyers from Wall Street, from the City of London, and many other places. So I guess I sort of learned quite a lot of how the business mind works from a very early start in my career. And I also got to travel a lot. And I think, you know, that was a passion. So it was great to be in a job where I was actually paid. Uh, and in my 20s to travel around the world. And I spent a lot of time doing that. And that really opened my eyes, not just to how the legal profession operates in different countries, but also just the culture and the social environment and the political environment as well. So I was kind of interested in all of that merged together. And at some stage, I realized that I could either stay doing that forever, and I would probably be really happy traveling the world, or I had to really push myself to see what else I could do. And that's where I decided at the top of a mountain in Peru, that I was going to give up my job and try to do something else. And so I don't suggest anyone tries this at home. <laughs> do not do this, give up your job with nothing to go to. But that's exactly what I did. And I decided I wanted to work in social justice. And so I set off to do that. And Uh, and when I came back to the UK, having traveled, I started to work for different social justice organizations, both in the UK, but also overseas as well. And I think, you know, that just filled my love of what is now called diversity and inclusion, you know, trying to get people to belong and trying to make sure that everyone has a chance to belong. So I did that for, for 10 or so years and then ended up rather miraculously at a science organization having not been particularly good at science back at school, but I saw so many different problems that kind of brought everything I'd done in my career together into that one organization. And uh, I've been there now for eight years and really focusing, as you said in the introduction, on diversity, on inclusion, on sustainability, and looking at it both from a science perspective as a science organization, but also that social part as well. So not a linear career, but that's where I've ended up now at the Institute of Physics. We talked a little bit in the lead up to this episode, and you told me that you are a loyal listener of Leadership Conversations, which is great to hear. And then you will also know, of course, that our focus here is sustainable leadership. 
Now, excuse my ignorance, but what does the Institute of Physics have to do with sustainability exactly? Well, I think in, in my view, it's got two things to do with sustainability. I mean, first of all, it is a science organization. Physicists are part of finding the solutions with the research and the innovation for climate challenges. And those are very real challenges. I think we've got to the point now where the science of, of climate has been proven, but we need to find the solutions to it. And, and some of those solutions certainly have physics at their core. And that's why I've been doing a lot of work in Africa to increase the research between the UK and Africa on energy, for example. So I think, you know, just from a science perspective, there is a real importance about reaching those targets of net zero and the role that scientists, physicists have to do that. But like any organization, we also have to make our own commitment to net zero, but also what it means to be sustainable as an organization and what that means about our people, both the employees that we have, but also our members. We're a membership organization. We represent 21,000 physicists in the UK and Ireland. And obviously, sustainability is important to them. It's also important to us in how we run the organization from governance all the way through our operational and policies and practices. So I think we come at it from both those perspectives. And that makes it interesting for us, I think, thinking of it from a science perspective as well as a leadership perspective. And we'll be talking about the environmental factors and net zero, in fact, a little later. I want to stay with the social sphere, with the S of ESG for now. You have already alluded to it. You're very passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you just mentioned 23,000 physicists are part of your network. So I would love to learn more about who they are and generally what is the nature of the problem with diversity and inclusion in a science setting or in your area. Yeah, I think, you know, every science, and I was interested in the last episode that you did about life sciences, I think every science has its own problems with diversity. For physics, the biggest problem we have had, and we've worked on this for a number of years, is that we don't have a lot of girls who come into physics. So particularly at the age of 16, when you start to do your A-levels or whatever the equivalent is where you are, the number of girls doing physics has remained I would say really stubbornly low. So it's around about, of the numbers taking that subject, it's about 23%. We want to get that to 30% because 30% is generally seen to be a bit of a tipping point. If you can get to 30%, probably there's a little bit of momentum that will continue to drive it. But for the girls, it has remained stubbornly low. And that becomes even, even more noticeable for people from the black community, particularly from black Caribbean heritage, for people LGBTQ, for example, it's very low for people with disabilities. So, you know, there is definitely underrepresentation, and that's what we're trying to shift. And we do that for two reasons. And I think it's like many organizations, we have both uh, uh, the kind of business case for that. And I think that business case has been well argued. And I've heard some of your guests talk about that, you know, the, the importance of having diversity in things like science. When you're trying to find solutions, you want to make sure that different thoughts and backgrounds and experiences are part of that. So, you know, that kind of business case, it makes for better science. It makes for better teams and so forth. So that's really important. And then, of course, there is the one that you said, which is just the fairness bit. 
the fact that young people are being put off from studying physics because of stereotypes and myths and so forth is something that struck me when I looked at this about three years ago and started the campaign. We just have to shift that. And that's, I think, not a problem of physics. It's a problem of society. And so I suppose for me, coming at it from a social justice perspective, as well as now being in a science organization, I was kind of able to balance both those things and think, okay, how do we campaign to bring about that change? And that's been a major part of the work that I've been doing. And we're starting to see some improvements, but that dial turns very slowly. Rachel, allow me a follow-up question. Firstly, what are the exact barriers of entry say, for girls to get into physics. You just talked about stereotypes. I'm interested, what are these stereotypes exactly? And then what are the mechanisms that you apply in order to get more underrepresented groups into physics and become scientists? Yeah, it's a really good question. The first thing I should say is that we're not focusing on the young people themselves. What we're focusing on are the influences of those young people. So, for example, the media, the social media, the school environment is certainly important. And one of the problems that we have in the UK is not enough physics teachers. So that holds things back. So we're trying to fix that. And that's a government issue. With the media, I think it is the tendency to use very traditional images. Uh, And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I had a letter in The Guardian. There was an article about stereotyping for films and how they always use as the kind of science geek, you know, a picture of a man and looking kind of slightly wild and eccentric. And, you know, it's it's a stereotype that's put out there. And when we looked at the images that are used by journalists, most of them were men. There weren't many women there. So, you know, what we're doing is working with journalists to say, look, there are better images you can use and help them to create those image banks so that they have something that is more diverse. So I think the important thing for us is that it's not the fault of the young people. And that's why we're not focusing directly on the young people. It's the people around the the parents as well. To give you an example, only 12% of parents, when we surveyed them, would encourage their child to study physics because, oh, it's the hard subject. It wasn't very well taught at school. It's very difficult. And I don't know what you do with it. So, you know, trying to show that actually there are really good jobs, really good careers, and, you know, they're pretty high value. So they're economically, they're really good for young people and trying to just break down some of those myths that exist. And that's in stark contrast, because actually in the UK, the one thing we need are more people studying physics because there's a shortage, particularly in some business areas. So, Trying to fix this is both a fair thing to do because you know, I would argue that young people should have the chance to study a subject that's about the natural world and you know is it leads to all sorts of interesting careers. But also there's a fact that actually we just need more people. So holding back over 50% of your population isn't the greatest thing to be doing. And I know that you enjoyed our last episode where we featured Nesneen Rahman, who is a non-executive director on the board of AstraZeneca and a scientist herself. And at the end of the episode, we were talking a little bit about the nature of the problem. And she said there's actually quite a, a lot of girls specifically in STEM, but they're not becoming scientists because of these stereotypes, because what society thinks a scientist is. 
So could you tell me a little bit more about these careers? What is a potential career path for somebody who does not want to become a geeky person with a white coat on and big glasses, if that's the stereotype we want to use? What are the opportunities specifically that a career in physics can offer? Yeah, well, I, th I think the first thing to say is that it, you're absolutely right. It, it doesn't mean you're going to end up necessarily in research. So, you know, you may choose to go on to do a degree. Um, actually, the most skills that are needed are those without a degree. So that's an apprenticeship, which is another option for people to take. Of course, there are also, you know, if you study physics at 16 and you get your A-level in physics, many people will go and do other things as well. So, you know, a lot of people will end up in financial services or all sorts of different jobs. I think what tends to be the case is that a lot of people see physics as a very sort of restrictive career that you will go into an academic career and you'll do research and that's probably where you'll stay. Whereas actually you could end up running your business. I was speaking the other week to some fairly young people who started their own quantum business. So they did their degrees and from that they started a business when they left their university And they're doing really, really well. You know, I mean, that's probably going to become quite a lucrative business as well. But, you know, in very future tech, there's lots of different things that you can do. And I think, unfortunately, it does have that sort of lab coat image. Not that I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with wearing a lab coat before anyone out there criticizes me. But I think it's just a little bit more diverse than that. What we're seeing is that young people when they attend the kind of career sessions that we put on, are quite surprised by where physicists end up in and the type of work they're doing. You know, if you're, I don't know, lots of people have to unfortunately go and have x-rays or whatever or MRI scans and, you know, but there will be physics and the work of physicists in that. But that medical side perhaps doesn't come through as strongly as it might. So we're just trying to open it up a little bit more and show actually it's quite exciting. And there's diversity of careers and so lots of different opportunities for people. I have a follow-up question in regards to quantum technology, but I'll save that for later. So <laughs> really keen to learn what's going on in that area specifically. But switching to environmental considerations now, what would you say to business leaders who really want to make a difference in reducing greenhouse gas emissions and moving the climate change mitigation agenda forward? Yeah, that is an interesting and a very complex question. And I think the easiest answer I can give is to be honest and transparent about what you can achieve. Achieving net zero by 2030 is tough. That doesn't mean we shouldn't set ourselves a target but we should recognize it is tough, but we should be transparent about where it's difficult because that is all part of the learning and I think ultimately will help organizations. So I would say start and really focus on the changes that you can make and be part of a bigger debate about how to make even more changes. But I personally, and, and certainly I think at IOP, I can say, that we would really hesitate to go the direction of offsetting. Fair enough. And now tell me, Rachel, what are the trends that get you excited around sustainability and generally movements that you see in the market? And lastly, 
I'm fascinated by quantum technology because I feel like nobody really knows what's going on and people don't really understand what it is. So tell us more about what we can expect in the future and what gets you excited looking forward. Yeah, well, I think it's so maybe it's one and the same question. I think what gets me excited is seeing where science is going and physics is a big part of that. So the future tech, you know, the quantum, other technology that is just going to be so important in terms of finding sustainable solutions for climate. One of the things I mentioned is that, and, and this is where international collaboration is so important. I've just been part of this couple of things I've done, which is one, we've just done our own podcast series, which has just been nominated for a New York Radio Festivals Award. I don't know whether I'm allowed to mention that, but I'm very, very excited by it. So, <laughs> so that's great. And that is all about climate. And I think what it shows and the, and the podcast that you're doing, it shows there's a real appetite for this. And that's exciting, that people really do care and they want to get this right. We shouldn't underestimate that there's a lot of very willing people and organizations out there in the science world, but in other uh, sectors as well, trying to get this right and understanding the complexities of it. I think what really excites me is when I see the work I've been doing with the UK and with East African countries and really thinking about the collaboration of research. You know, there is so much we can learn from what's going on in Africa. There is no doubt when I travel there that, you know, they're absolutely at the sharp end of this. And the problems that they're having are enormous, but they're really working hard to try and find those solutions. And the more that we can partner with them on that, that can only do good. So keeping that international collaboration alive, whether it's with Africa, whether it's with other countries, it, whether it's with Europe, and of course that throws up some challenges for us in the UK because of our exit from Europe and from Horizon and, you know, what's going to happen with Horizon. So, you know, there are question marks, of course, always, but I think there is a lot of interesting work being done uh, and that's important. But I also think the fact that I don't know whether 10 years ago we would have been even having this conversation in this way and thinking about it, but also thinking about the human bit in it too. And I think with the ESG, what gets me really excited is that it asks us to think about the diversity, the inclusion, the governance, the best policies we can have. It asks us to talk about the people bit and get that people bit right. And I think that's really important. It kind of brings things together more for me. And I know it's really difficult and there's lots of discussion about, you know, whether companies are reporting accurately and all of this. But I think, look, let's just say that there is more momentum now than there's ever been. And that has to be positive. So I'm really excited about the future. I get to see, you know, what's happening in the world of technology. And that's exciting to see the scientists and the development that they're having there. But I think it's also about wider society as well. And just being willing to engage with the subject. You know, if you're if you're putting out a new podcast and you get 115,000 downloads, there's an appetite there from all across the world. There's an appetite there for people to engage and to listen and to learn. And I think that's a, that's a huge positive. We did some research recently about physics undergraduates 
and what they were thinking in terms of future work. And it was really interesting to see that they place sustainability as the highest factor they would expect to see in a future employer. You know, are they being true to sustainability? They place that above status and prestige of the job. It's a young generation that wants this. I think there's a lot of very exciting things that can happen if we are honest and transparent about the challenges as well as the opportunities. And there are huge challenges. We know that from the the cost, from the government discussions. You know, there are enormous challenges, but there's a willing group of society willing to push this. I agree, Rachel. Specifically, the point on everybody being engaged around this topic now. And I cannot recall, I've spoken to a business or public leader recently who has not recognized the need for change and get one's head around climate change and the social agenda. People understand it now. It's about execution and implementation of the right strategies, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Rachel, we're almost at the end. You know what's coming now? Two more questions that we're asking everybody. And the first one is, what is your favorite story of a particular leader or organization that had a big impact on yourself or society at large? I think I could point to a big impact on myself. And that was the International Bar Association, where I worked many years ago. It was a fabulous organization. And as someone in their 20s, it threw me out into the world in a day where you didn't have mobiles or laptops or anything else. So you went off with a piece of paper and a pen and your passport, and that was about it. And I went to all sorts of different countries at times that were exciting. You know, there was the end of apartheid and going to South Africa. Later on, there was the collapse of the Soviet Union. And I remember going and talking to lawyers in Russia. That seemed very exciting for the first time, you know, seeing people opening up and thinking about what their future might be as lawyers. So, you know, I think that for me was really incredible to be not only traveling the world, but really there when some big things were happening in the world and to see that. And that had a profound effect on me. And I think probably made me incredibly curious And that curiosity about human beings has stayed with me. So it certainly shaped my career. That sounds very intriguing, Rachel. And perhaps think about writing a book. I'll buy a book talking about these world events. Sounds like you were right in the middle there and speaking to the right people. And there there are way more backstories to that than I've just told. So yeah, one day I'll write a book. (laughs) I bet, I bet they are. International Bar Association, excellent. Thanks very much. And lastly, can you give our listeners one piece of advice that they can make part of their leadership toolkit and start applying today to set them up for more positive societal impact? I think engage with the subject. You know, you need as a leader to be leading on ESG and diversity and inclusion, big part of that. You have to drive that. You have to lead that into the organization. But don't ever forget to listen. And I think the biggest thing I've learned as a leader is how much I learn from the team just by listening to their experiences, their thoughts, their views about the world. You know, a lot of them are now, dare I say, a different generation to me, but they never cease to amaze me how 
on the ball they are and how many ideas they have. And that's what we need. So as a leader, yeah, absolutely lead the subject and, and own it. But don't forget to listen. That's really important. And you're not the first person mentioning listening is an important skill at this point. One of my favorite quotes of the Dalai Lama, you might know it, is when you talk, you're just repeating what you know. But if you listen, you might just learn something new. Rachel, it was an absolute pleasure having you uh, on our show today. We could have talked much longer. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, well, great to talk to you. Thanks very much, Frederick. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership Conversations. To follow our work and learn more about our reports, please check out our website, boardreport.org, and sign up to our newsletter. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Details can be found in the podcast description.